Yeah, so this basically shows by year the amount of corporate debt that's maturing. Um, and you can see it really starts to ramp up next year and into 25, 26. And, and these are big numbers. Uh, uh, about 800 billion in, in 2024, over a trillion in 2025. So here we have an interest rate environment, at least presently, um, far higher than when this debt was issued. And this debt either has to be repaid or refinanced. And if interest rates are anywhere near where they are now, we're looking at them. You know, we're going to see that chart that we looked at a few weeks ago showing the net interest expense of companies, you know, corporate America not really budging. We're going to see that shoot up. It's 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 almost guaranteed in the math. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart, welcoming you back here at the end of the week. I'm joined this week by my good friends. Michael Preston and John Lodra, lead partners at New Harbor Financial, one of the financial advisory firms endorsed by Wealthion. Uh, we've got a lot to cover in this video here. Um, we've had a lot of actually great videos this week that I, I we're going to discuss their reactions to. But we're also going to talk about what's happening right now in the markets and what might be happening soon in the larger economy. Um, John, Mike, thanks so much for joining me, guys. Um, I want to start by just citing an old parable, um, the sword of Damocles. Uh, and this is a story about a, a courtier who uh, was uh, in a royal court. He was um, basically sort of sucking up to the king and saying, my goodness, you have such a wonderful life, king. You have everything you could ever want here, all the power in the world, all your whims are met at the snap of a finger. Boy, I'd love to have your life. And the king said, all right, you know what? Let's trade places for a day. And uh, he let Damocles take the throne, but to give him a sense of what it's like to be king, where you sort of have threats on all sides, both you know external threats, other enemies trying to kill you, take over your kingdom, and also internal threats, people looking to stage a coup, um, you know, potentially betraying you. Uh, he had a sword hung above the throne, and that sword was supported by a single horsehair. And it was to symbolize that uh, you know you 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 have to always be on your guard because at any moment your situation could change if these external and or internal forces act against you. And after sitting in the throne for a couple hours, Damocles just panicked, said, "I can't do it anymore, King. Please take your throne back," because he was afraid that that horsehair was going to snap and he'd get skewered by that sword. Uh, I think that's not a bad parable for uh, some of the threats that are hanging out there. Sometimes we refer to them as black swans. Sometimes we refer to them as other by other terms. But there's a lot of potential swords of Damocles that could fall and really injure this market. Um, the day we're talking, the week we're talking, we're seeing the markets cool off here. One of the questions we're going to talk about in just a second, gents, is are we seeing perhaps a reversal here in the market? Um, we'll talk about that, but we've we're also I'd also like to dive into you. Um, I've talked a lot in this channel about the lag effects, which are essentially events that have been set in motion in the past by the uh, the actions of the central planners, particularly the big central banks uh, here in the U.S. The Federal Reserve is the big one. Um, we've raised interest rates faster and and by a greater magnitude than we ever have before in history. That is highly likely going to have big repercussions. They haven't arrived in full force yet. We'll talk about why this concept of stealth liquidity. Um, but uh, there's a lot of um, potential pain coming, especially as more and more of America has to re-rate 
to uh, higher debt when the current debt they're holding matures. So um, lots of lots of swords of Damocles hanging above the overall economy. I want to dive into a number of the important ones with you guys. Um, so why don't we start here? Um, uh, John and Mike, we've had some great interviews this week, like I mentioned, uh, kicked off the week with uh, Stephanie Pomboy interviewing Jim Rickards about uh, the rumored new BRICS currencies uh, and also just the impact of the BRICS alliance. Um, we had uh, Gretchen Morganson talking about uh, the damage that a lot of the big private equity firms are doing to the economy. I also released a, an explainer video on this topic of stealth liquidity. We'll get into that in just a second. But John, why don't we start with you? What, what were some of your key takeaways from the uh, Stephanie and, uh, and and Jim discussion? Um, very curious to hear, you know, Jim packs about three interviews worth of material into a single interview. Very curious to hear what resonated most with you. And maybe Mike will then shift to you and get a sense for, because the BRICS currency is going to be commodities backed and maybe priced in gold, what impact do you think that's going to have on gold going forward? So let's start with you, John. Yeah, Mike and I were, were ch chatting offline uh, about that interview and, and just remarked uh, how encyclopedic uh, uh, Jim Rickards is uh, about uh, all these things, kind of um, geopolitical, monetary linked uh, factors. And, and man, what a, what a, what a fascinating um, uh, review of, of all these things that have you know, we fail to remember sometimes, you know, Mike and I and what we do here, we're, we're certainly very aware of the big picture, but we have to uh, also have to uh, manage accounts for clients uh, on, on a shorter, shorter term basis without these big, you know, multi-decade type of trends, you know, swaying every every decision we make. But yeah, uh, they talked about this, this, this uh pathway to where we've gotten uh, really playing out over the last couple of decades. This is not an overnight phenomenon. It's a, it's a uh, boiling frog kind of slow progression started out um, a little bit of fringe. And now they've, they've uh, essentially um, replicated many of the modern institutions that the developed world has, 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 you know, they've got a uh, comparable entity. Uh, I forget the name of it. I can go to my notes, but it's maybe not so relevant the name comparable entity to the World Bank. They've got a comparable entity. And I'm, I'm talking about the BRICS countries, uh, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, Compar comparable entity to the uh, Intermonetary inter Fund, IMF. Um, you know, essentially all these institutions that have been the hegemony of, of, of our, our, our kind of uh, uh, developed world uh, banking and, and financial system they've replicated and and a uh, large part of that is because of the essentially margin marginalization that these BRICS countries have received on the part of a, a very powerful uh entrenched um status quo and uh it's gotten to the point where there's real practical talks about uh how how they're likely to establish a functioning uh uh, monetary exchange uh, uh, vehicle between these countries, uh, one that, as, as Mike and you will touch upon, is likely to be backed um, by commodities and most specifically gold and have a lot of features that uh, maybe will exploit some of the bugs in in, in the current fiat system. And, and uh, uh, geopolit geopolitics are definitely front and center with, with wars being waged, but this is uh, financial warfare. And Jim himself referenced uh, how he's basically been an instructor, I think, at the Naval War College, I think he said, uh, to up-and-coming um, military strategists on financial warfare. So uh, these things have become inextricably linked. And uh, 
very exciting, <laughs> exciting and scary times that we think uh, lie ahead in terms of how this plays out uh, geopolitically, but also in, in financial markets. So fascinating for you. Thank, thank God we have folks like that can help us understand the big picture because we certainly don't have time during our days to understand the, the, the full ins and outs of, of these big tectonic shifts. Yeah. And, and one thing I think it's important to take away from the whole um, rise of the BRICS, if you will, is, you know, um, putting aside for a moment whether they're going to create a competing currency and, you know, whether the, the dollar's dominance of the world reserve currency is is going to be under more direct attack and all that stuff. Um, it just really does underscore that the, the, the world is becoming much more bipolar or, or multipolar going forward. You know, we, we've been very used to the sort of unipolar um, Pax Americana, um, which has, has given a lot of great stability to the world, um, but also given the U.S. a lot of advantages that we've, we've now just kind of begun to take for granted. And Jim started you know, saying, look, when you when you kind of look at the companies, the, sorry, companies, the countries that are coalescing into this this BRICS alliance, um, if you look at landmass, if you look at population, if you look at GDP um, uh, on a price purchase parity basis, if you look at um, uh, nuclear arsenals, right? I mean, you you look at all these sort of power dynamics. Uh, it begins to rival the West. And in some cases, uh, like population being a good example, it actually has more, right? So um, it, it's it's not just a coalition of, of sort of the, you know, uh, bitter developing world countries that are, you know, angry about the US or whatnot. It, it is a really substantial force to be reckoned with of, of companies that are, you know, countries that are really beginning to enter developed world status. Uh, and so one of the outcomes of that, and Zoltan Poznar has written a lot about this, is, is even if even if the relationships are relatively friendly still going forward, there's just going to be a lot more demand coming out of this block that is going to be competing for resources that the West has really enjoyed pretty unfettered, you know, first access to for the past 50 plus years. And all of a sudden, those assets, those commodities, are going to become what Zoltan refers to as, as more encumbered, meaning they're, they're just going to be locked up in, in trade arrangements that are getting struck between these BRICS countries. And the West is going to have to either pay more for them or not get as many of them as it's used to getting. And I think that's just a, going to be a really uh, surprising in a negative way uh, new development for a lot of the West going forward. And, and that's even sort of under the, the better case scenario where everybody's still friendly and playing nice with each other. Obviously, if it becomes more antagonistic than that, and we start having things like trade wars, or, or to your point there, John, financial wars, um, you know, we could really find ourselves, you know, getting matched against an opponent that that has a, a lot more force to push back on us than, than than we've been used to dealing with. We just may not actually have the musculature to really know how to react to that. So anyways, <clears throat> as you mentioned, it's uh, the, a lot of the discussion with Jim is about a commodity-backed currencies priced in gold um, that eventually you know could could really help the rest of the world begin to seriously de-dollarize, at least in terms of its trade and whatnot. So Mike, heading over to you, Feel free to add anything under what John said, but but would love to hear your thoughts about what the repercussions of this might be, both for the dollar and the other major Western fiat currency, and for gold itself. 
Yeah, great, Adam. Thank you. I'd like to add a few comments and just uh, fill in a couple places that I thought were important in the discussion. Um, this meeting is going to happen in Johannesburg, August uh, 22nd to 24th. And what I found interesting is that there's seven formal applicants at this time and another 14 on the waiting list. And as you said, that's 50% of the world population is comprised of these, these BRICS countries. And on a purchasing parity basis, 54% uh, of global GDP. So it, it, it's quite a bit of purchasing power and quite a bit of commerce. And um, you're right, the United States has taken for granted the status that we have. Uh, Rickards points out uh, that during Bretton Woods, John Maynard Keynes wanted a global currency. He didn't really ever want a monopoly currency that the US uh, dollar ended up having eventually. And um, you know, this is this is essentially what he wanted. He wanted to have a global currency backed by commodities that would have that would be fungible around the world and used in trade. We didn't end up with that. Instead, we ended up in the next 70 or 80 years with a stronger and stronger dollar-based world's reserve currency. And that's that's given us unbelievable privilege. Un we, we almost don't even understand how much of a privilege that is. If we want 50 or 100 more tanks, we just press a button, print them, print the money, and the world has to accept it. And the whole euro dollar, dollar system is just immense. You know, Jeff Snyder talks a lot about that in Euro Dollar University. But the the you need a collateral system or a bond market. If you're going to have a world's reserve currency, you have to have a bond market to park the savings. If you get a trillion dollars worth of dollars, what are you going to do with it? You can't really sell it back to your home currency very easily. That'll affect the currency exchange rates, and you know, end up in in, in pretty severe losses in that trade. So what you have to do is you have to have a deep and liquid bond market. That's what the US dollar has. Well, the BRICS are talking about this and they're probably gonna come up with something as we talked about that's gold backed. And Jim points out that he doesn't think this is the immediate death of the US dollar. One thing that our clients and your viewers need to realize is this is not gonna happen overnight. You need a deep and liquid bond market. Um, that's probably gonna take time. Jim talked about, um, you know, selling bonds to retail people in these BRICS countries to park the, their savings, that's probably going to happen, but it's going to take years. And the BRICS countries, I think, want the U.S. dollar to exist, just like Jim said, because it provides a deep outlet to transfer currencies into. And um, yeah, but the, but the upshot of all of this is that likely the U.S. dollar will decline in value over a long period of time, say the next 10 years. So. And you, you talked about the weaponization of the dollar. That's a big deal. All of these BRIC countries are have watched what's happened. Essentially, it's a default, like Jim points out. We have taken away principal and interest payments on treasuries. We've taken away Visa and MasterCard in Russia. We've taken away the SWIFT system. So these countries are creating their own communication networks. You talked about a new cable that's that's being, uh, or Stephanie talked about a new cable, I think. She called it a submarine cable, I believe. That's that's can, that's providing connectivity and instant payment systems for these countries. I find that really interesting because also the Fed at the same time launched Fed Now last um, last month, maybe to stay ahead of the game and maybe to keep up with everything that's going on. There they've created an instant payment system amongst institutions as well. So, you know, the writing is on the wall. We've enjoyed a fantastic privilege for a long, long time. It's probably ending. It's not going to be overnight. It's a process that's probably going to unfold over a number of years. 
And I don't see how this can't be positive for gold over time. There's no other element, no other commodity that you can go to that is what gold is. I think Jim pointed out there's, I think, 17 different grades of crude oil, a whole bunch of different types of wheat and corn and you know different types of commodities. But gold as a element on the periodic table of elements is always gold. So it's probably going to be gold. And um, I, th I think gold should benefit greatly from this. And gold, as we speak, is hanging in here at about 1950 in the futures market and still has one of the best long-term charts of any asset out there. If you take a look at the monthly chart of gold on a 20-year basis, this giant cup and handle that has formed um, over the last 12 years or so is very bullish. It still has to break above 2000 or even 2100 before it confirms a breakout from that cup and handle. But when it does, it should be a pretty quick trip up to 2,500 and who knows where it goes from then. So we don't know the future, but that's what it looks like right now. I, I do think that we're gonna have a lot of weakness in, in, uh, in the dollar going ahead and probably pretty deep economic crises. We have a hyper overvalued stock market that seems like it has to stay there or the, or the whole shebang comes apart, so to speak. And um, it, it's anyone's guess to how long this can go on. All right. Um, well said. Uh, one thing I feel just compelled to underscore there to your point is whatever happens with this BRICS currency, and again, we're still sort of waiting for it all to be made official, um, is that A, it's going to take a long time, like you said. And so, you know, we, we sometimes get flooded with emails from people when we talk about this topic. Uh, where they're panicking and saying, look, I got to get all my money out of dollars today, right? And I just want to underscore, I don't think you guys at New Harbor are saying that in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, and we'll talk about this a little bit, uh, you know, being long the U.S. dollar or, or, or U.S. dollar instruments like U.S. treasuries may actually be really a good place to be, you know, in the near term. Um, secondly, too, um, we should just be you know, cognizant that um, while I think there's a lot of very understandable reasons why this BRICS alliance is building momentum the way that it is, um, you know, in many ways, uh, you have a lot of countries that form the heart of it that don't have a great history of cooperation. <laughs> you know, some of these countries have been at war for centuries, some even longer than that. Um, so we have to also just sort of, I think, uh, have a little bit of a realist view that like all new ventures, this one's probably going to have a lot of hiccups and permutations along the way um, in its evolution here, and it's it's probably not going to emerge as a, a, a massive you know counterbalance to to the U.S. or the, the Western alliance you know overnight. Um, again, I, I think the reasons that are driving the coalition, the, the coalescence of this coalition, are real, uh, and we need to take them very seriously. But again, um, we should just be measured in how much. You know, kind of probability we, we we give the timing here, right? Um, one one quick point, Mike, um, just on gold. Um, uh, I believe we've talked about this in the past. You know, it, gold, as you said, is hanging in there, right? It's it's sort of been soft of late, right? It it, it gotten back above two thousand. It's now back to about nineteen fifty, um, which is still a relatively you know high price for gold. Um, <clears throat> but the the mining complex uh, has not performed. Uh, as strongly as gold has this year. And so um, I, I believe in your guys' opinion, there are some good values uh, to be found in, in miners right now and, and that they're sort of trading at a bit of a discount to the metal itself. 
and the reason why I just want to corroborate this with you is, is uh, I checked my portfolio of miners, which being really transparent with folks, I've been so busy this year, I really haven't been checking it nearly as often as I should. And I'm seeing that a lot of my miners are kind of lagging uh, in there. Um, but I just want to underscore for folks, and this is one of the reasons why the mining complex is such an interesting one. So I have one stock there um, that has been a 10-bagger. Um, I, I bought it last year, I think, for something like 35 cents. And it's trading, at least last time I saw it was trading, it was trading over $4. Um, so what? That's like a 1,000% return. Um, sure wish I had bought more of it, but still, it's, it's, uh, I'm very happy with that return here. And, and that's one of the reasons um, why the mining stock complex can be so interesting because um, it is levered to the price of gold. And when you have a miner that really pops, it can pop really big. Now, there's a lot of risk in this space, and I'm not trying to encourage people just to go whole hog into miners right now blindly. But it's interesting to see one of these big wins that I've you know read about for a lot over the years and finally have one of them happen in my portfolio. Uh, of course, I'm hoping, Mike, that you're right, that that you know gold begins to really get some wind behind its sails here, makes it above 2100, and then that hopefully brings the metal quickly to 2500 or so. And, and presumably, that would really bring the whole mining complex to life. So anyways, I, I just, I, I'd love to get your corroboration on what I just said there. Are indeed you still seeing kind of the miners trading at a discount? And is maybe this a good time to, to be considering maybe doing some dollar cost averaging into the space? Yeah, the miners are absolutely trading at a discount, a historical discount. We don't have a chart ready for this. I wish we did. But if you look over time, miners trade at a pretty steep discount sometimes and at a pretty steep premium sometimes relative to the underlying spot metal. Right now, they're at a, a very steep discount to gold and have been there for a number of years, literally almost 10 years. So that's bound to revert at some point. What's going to make it revert is the big question. Well, what's going to make it revert is for the public to sit up and take notice that gold is a real thing. You know, it's, 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 I believe it seems like the public is somewhat asleep on this issue at the moment, particularly with all the things that are pending, you know, with this BRICS meeting later this month, that type of thing. It is just taking its time in this giant basing pattern, as I talked about before. But the mining complex is very, very profitable at these levels at 1950 on spot gold. The cost of extracting the metal from the ground is somewhere around $1,200 last time I looked at the data. And, you know, you've had Rick Rule on your program before, and his point, I know, has been get access or give yourself exposure to beta in the sector. If we're right on gold, as long as you've got some exposure to the sector, you're going to do well, particularly if that kind of severe undervaluation relative to the spot metal reverses or even goes to a premium. This is a process that could move these prices much higher. Just to give you an example, I'll use GDX just because it's the most common ETF that people look at. Um, that's trading right around 30 or so, 29 to 30 right now. If gold goes to 2,500 or so, GDX should trade up towards 50 in, in my estimation. We'll see if that happens, but a lot of money coming into a very small space can move it from undervalued relative to the metal to overvalued pretty quickly, and it could stay overvalued for a long time. To your point, Adam, about how you're investing, you can also buy individual miners. This is another method. It takes a little bit more stomach, a little bit more courage, a little bit more 
ability to handle risk, but you could buy a bunch of individual miners, cast a bunch of seeds. One of those seeds grows into a big oak tree and you know all the rest can go to zero and it doesn't matter. That's just a different way to approach it. You know, we suggest for most people, just like you know, Rick Rula said on your program, get exposure to beta, you know, buy one of the funds or an ETF that invests in that sector and maybe add in some of the individual miners. There's a lot of good resources out there, newsletter writers, people on your program. But um, yeah, these companies are very profitable at this level of gold. Nobody seems to be noticing there's some consolidation that's starting to happen in that industry. We start to see some of the big players gobble up the smaller players. That too will boost the prices of these companies. So we really like it. All right, great. I just want to remind folks, mining space, <clears throat> very volatile. Um, there's a lot of companies that don't go anywhere or go out of business. Uh, so there's a lot of risk involved, but you can have some really huge wins too. Um, so I recommend that if you're not a, a, a very well experienced investor in the space, um, if you're going to buy individual stocks, you know, just stick to the really big ones, you know, the barracks, the Newmonts, et cetera, um, Franco Nevada's, um, but if you want to get beyond that, highly recommend that you follow one of these newsletter writers that that Mike mentioned. You know, leverage somebody else's expertise who does follow this space really closely. So follow one of these newsletter letter writers and or work with a financial advisor that knows how to invest in the space and they can help you. You know, basically put together a portfolio for you. Okay, so um, we're going to talk about where the markets are headed uh, in a moment. But before we get there, John, I'm coming to you. Um, I, I, I want to get into that that sort of Damocles uh, market environment that we have right now that I mentioned in the in the intro here. Um, I know you've got some some charts prepared, um, a number of which are just basically showing that we are currently at extremes uh, in a lot of places of the economy where we're just going. You know, extremes are extreme for a reason, right? They they they're extreme because they don't last for very long. It's an outlying uh, condition. And so uh, a number of these macro extremes are, are going to have to revert at some point. So I was hoping maybe you could walk through some of those charts and, and you know, let's talk about some of the key ones you guys have your eyes on. And, you know, on this channel, I've been banging the drum a lot about the lag effect and how it's, it's eventually going to matter. I think a lot of your charts talk about, they visualize what we're going to see when the lag effect actually arrives. Yeah, I'm happy. I would like to just add a little bit, uh, a brief uh, add-on to the conversation about the gold miners. As Mike aptly pointed out, we we absolutely agree uh, with the, the the notion that the broad space, just getting beta to the broad space through an ETF uh, is, is a great way. The thing we we also uh, also encourage folks is is to understand that they they can be volatile. In fact, we have um, half of our position for clients hedged with pretty pretty robust put options for downside protection from where we are right now uh and and in a in a broad market stock market sell-off um it's not uncommon for these stocks despite their undervaluation to get hit very 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 nastily to the downside even if temporarily so I want to want to you know basically paint that that proper context um but I'm also going to spill the beans a little bit here we uh we've we've gotten asked by many clients to um, if there was a way we could help them get access to more individual stocks in the space. And um, one thing to understand about the space is that there's a broad realm or broad spectrum of companies in terms of 
um, their um, stability and quality and and um, safety, if you will. There's a, there's a ton of small gold mining stocks out there that are unproven. They're development companies, very speculative. Um, we think most folks should have no business in those. Um, so, but we have gotten asked uh, by many clients to, hey, you know, we, we'd like to get a more curated uh, exposure to the space. So we've been working on uh, developing some 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 strategies, basically to combine some fundamental analysis with some technical tools, but also to provide a um, an income supplement uh, by doing covered call writing against a, a carefully selected portfolio of stocks. Not quite ready to go live with it, and it's because of the size of the position sizes, it, it would only be appropriate for folks that had enough uh, to commit to the gold mining space to 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 accommodate the position sizes. And by no means is this render kind of the broad beter strategy that we use for our clients uh, inappropriate or useless. And you know, this, this is kind of a, a more, you know, uh, adjunct to that. But I just want to give a heads up there. We're, we're working on that and, and we may have some 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 sleeves that we can offer to, to folks that have a specialized interest in this that are, we think, going to be a, a bit novel and a bit different than the, the, the broad take on, on the sector. All um, right. Nice, nice tease there, John. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm glad you guys are doing it and you've been keeping me in the loop on that. Um, folks, I think this is going to be something that a lot of people are going to be really interested when it goes live. Um, but yeah, John, we're going to get a ton of comments here from folks yeah. wanting more details that I know you can't share quite yet. Yeah. Well, let's share some of the charts. So, yeah. And I'd like to kind of revert back to many of the conversations you've had, Adam, and, and the one that you had just a couple of weeks ago with Lacey Hunt, Dr. Lacey Hunt. Uh, Lacey always comes with uh, a very pragmatic data and perspective. And, and as much as we want to see instant translation of, of things we see in the data uh, immediately kind of translate to, hey, we're, we're in recession. That's not how things work. There is these, there are the very sloppy transmission mechanisms that have lagged effects. And we've talked about it uh, ad nauseum on, on this channel, but uh, it doesn't change the facts. And Lacey, for example, said oftentimes it's maybe a seven to nine quarter lag from when the financial cycle peaks, which we we kind of are calling late 21, early 22. So that would put us right into that sweet spot now over the next couple quarters here as, as to when the lagged effect of some of these things start to take hold. Now, one of the key, one, one of the one area of, of puzzlement, uh, and we've talked about this a few weeks ago, I think we had some charts that showed the net interest expense of corporate America has barely gone up, even though interest rates have gone up. And a big part of that is because corporate America smartly, um, uh, CFOs doing their job smartly, refinance debt and maybe put too much debt on, in our opinion, uh, at very, very low interest rates in, over the last you know, bunch of years. Um, that's that's what they are paid to do, frankly. But the devil's in the details as to when that, that check comes due. So I'm going to share a chart here that uh, Goldman Sachs put together that um, basically shows the, the profile of, of uh, maturities. Can you see that okay? Yep, see it just right. fine. Yeah, so this basically shows by year the amount of corporate debt that's maturing. Um, and you can see it really starts to ramp up next year and into 25, 26. And, and these are big numbers, uh, uh, about 800 billion in, in 2024, over a trillion in 2025. So here we have an interest rate environment, at least presently, um, far higher than when this debt was issued. And this debt either has to be repaid or refinanced. And if interest rates are anywhere near where they are now, we're looking at a, you know, we're going to see that chart that we looked at a few weeks ago showing the net interest expense of companies, you know, corporate America not really budging. We're going to see that shoot up. It's 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 almost guaranteed in the math. And of course, there are some companies that have cash hoards. 
they could use some of that cash to pay down debt. But uh, the, the amount of debt that has take, been taken out over the last bunch of years has just been eye-popping. And much of it, uh, um, without the kind of typical uh, protections in the debt that, that debt investors have normally required. Um, let's look at the, the household sector here, um, or, or the broad, you know, you know, looking at, at, at loans from the, the consumer standpoint. This is a chart I came across, put together, you know, using money uh, data from the New York Fed and, and Equifax, basically showing uh, delinquencies, percent of balances uh, delinquent uh, by loan type. Now, one thing that jumps out here is is the student loan delinquency rate uh, dropped way off a cliff, meaning that there there wasn't wasn't much in the way of delinquency. Now, that that is of course a direct result of the um, uh, college debt uh, forbearance or, or, or moratorium that kicks back in, I think, in October, from that mistake. And that's like $1.6 trillion of, of, of debt that suddenly starts to come due again. Um, and we're already starting to see corporate bankruptcies uh, notch up. Uh, WeWork, for example, just uh, announced that it, it, it very likely could be facing bankruptcy. This comes off the heels of companies like uh, Yellow Trucking declaring bankruptcy in, in recent days. Um, we're starting to see some of those cracks that have been delayed as this, this impulse of higher rates has slowly but surely worked through the, the machine of the economy. One other chart we want to show here is one that Mike and I were talking about this morning. We, we, we wouldn't do a, do a database discussion justice if we didn't pull in a, a chart or two by John Husnick because he puts great stuff out. This is one he put on, on Twitter just today. And basically what this shows is um, a couple of things. So the maroonish line here, the one that, that ends right here, that's basically the unit labor costs of, of corporate America over the GDP deflator. And that's, that's on this axis right here, inverted. Um, and then the other one is basically the profit margins, uh, non-financial, so non-bank corporate profit margins. Now you can see those typically track pretty tightly and in, in, in a you know competitive, capitalistic, well-functioning uh, economy, those things should be competed into, into line with one another. But what you see here, there are two notable exceptions to this in the last uh, you know 20 years, uh, right around uh, the lead up to the housing bubble. And then of course, the last couple of years. Now what these essentially are, and you can see the words here, basically um, the undersaving or, or overspending of the corporate and consumer sector, I mean, the, uh, the government and consumer sector has financed, has, has resulted in a windfall to corporate America that can only be sustained if the deficit spending of, of government and consumers can be indefinitely uh, maintained. So this was basically, Consumers taking uh, cash out. Remember those things called cash cash out refinancings. Yep. Uh, leading up to the housing bubble, that's basically you know homeowners treating their houses like a piggy bank, taking cash out refinances to spend on any number of, of things. This, of course, is is the government uh, monetary but also fiscal stimulus in the wake of COVID, and um, you know basically it's created corporate profit margins that are way out of whack compared to history and way out of whack compared to the underlying labor co uh, unit costs. Um, the safe bet we believe is that these are going to sharply revert. You know, Jeremy Grantham, I think, was noted for saying one of the most reliably mean reverting series in, in economics is, is corporate profit margins. Uh, and, you know, both, you know, the last time we saw a departure like this during the housing bubble, it certainly did revert. And we expect the same here, especially now because you have interest rates and inflation being a, a, a real confining factor. Um, What's to keep the government from spending like they did the last couple, you know, few years? 
Well, we've seen a sharp rise in, in corporate, I mean, uh, treasury bond rates. Uh, we've seen, um, you know, a lot of lot of market reaction that, uh, and, and with the debt loads in the system, can't, can't handle much higher interest rates from here. So we're on a, we think, a crash course between, you know, the stimulus and the, the, the uh, deficit spending that created the surplus and, and the realities of, of the consequences of that. All so right. I'll stop there for now. Yeah, can you bring the chart back up if you can. Sure John. thing. Um, so, you know, it would be interesting to see on this chart, um, which they didn't put on here, but we'll 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 put it in our imaginations here, is um, recessions as well, right? And and you can see, you know, usually when profit margins diverge too far from that uh, you know, labor cost line, uh, and then they start to mean revert, you know, that's a generally corresponded, correlated with recessions as well. Um, what's interesting is we don't see as, as nearly as big of a, um, we don't really see any divergence um, in during the dot-com bubble. And I guess that's because uh, that was a bubble in stocks that didn't have any profits, right? I mean, that was a, that was a big signature issue of, of, uh, of the dot-com bubble. Um, but this is when I was talking about, you know, swords of Damocles, um, this is definitely one of them, right? This, this is just math, right? Uh, both in terms of the mathematical force of, of mean reversion. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, we can, we, we, we can play this out in our mind. Okay. Well, if profit margins come back down to their historic correlation with the maroon line there, um, you know, they're, they're going to drop from wherever they are right now, around 14% down to closer to like, you know, sub 10, a nine, 9% 9 or so, maybe even eight. Uh, for that to happen, companies are going to have to implement a lot of cost controls, right? And that's going to probably result in, you know, obviously lower share prices if they've got lower earnings, right? Because that's just the math of the PE ratio. But also, it's going to impact, um, uh, you know, workers. Right? Part of that cost cutting is going to be real layoffs. You know, the type that we see in bad recessions. Right? So that's, I, I, it's a development that I think we can have pretty high confidence in, unless it truly is different this time. And the only thing that I think can make it truly different this time is if we have some sort of return to uh, aggressive and sustained high-level economic growth. Uh, and sure, that could happen. Um, I just don't see any catalyst for it, you know, on the horizon that we can look to to say, oh yeah, okay, that's what's going to going to drive that. So without that kind of visible catalyst, I think we really have to prepare for that particular sort of Damocles to fall. I hate to ask you this, John, but can you put it back up one more time? Oh, sure, yeah, because 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 I want to go I want to go to your first chart there if you can back to the debt um, maturing chart. This, I think, is probably an even bigger sword that's dangling above the economy, right? As, as interest rates have vaulted tremendously higher over the past year and a half, you know, from, from basically at least federal funds rate, basically near zero to now over 5%. And so, yeah, you know, every CFO that could went out and borrowed as much as they could while rates were still low as interest rates started to move. And they're basically subsisting off of the, the low credit that they still have access to. But as this chart shows, there's trillions of dollars worth of, of corporate debt over the next couple of years, um, over half a trillion just this year alone, um, that is beginning to re-rate. 
and you know businesses borrow at a percent above the prime rate. And so if you look at business loans that are, are being available right now, they're about twice as expensive as where they were at the beginning of 2020, sorry, 2022, right? So um, until and unless the Federal Reserve pivots and materially brings interest rates down, as we continue along this time trajectory here, we're going to have these trillions of loans that are going to be re-rating at about twice the percent, at least if, if things stay where they are right now, they could get worse even. Um, and that is going to create a, a huge amount of weight that's just going to be pulling economic growth down. Uh, and it's going to lead to probably the, the those profit margin compressions that we talked about and, and you know, basically be pushing the economy into recession with all of the associated additional knock-on effects that come from that layoffs, lower yeah. financial asset prices, all that type of stuff. So I just want to make sure that folks, this is a great job of visualizing one of those large swords that's hanging over the economy. And literally, unless something changes, that horsehair that's supporting that sword is probably going to break under the sword's weight and we're going to have to deal with the consequences. And Adam, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't point out um, that all this debt, debt issuance, what did corporations do with that? The funds raised by issuing that debt? Uh, we already know, we can look at the data, the, the actual investment in plant and equipment and productive investment has been anemic. Um, yet there's been a massive um, flurry of corporate stock buybacks over the last yep. several years. So they basically issued debt to buy their own stock back in, in mass, right? Not, not every company, but... We had a basically a, a big leverage buyout by corporate America of themselves. And, um, you know, that's great on the way up. Uh, but on the way down, you know, we may be seeing, um, you know, kind of uh, offerings that dilute shareholders because uh, companies got to raise raise money to pay down debt. Uh, because and, and frankly, you know, corporate America has a very poor track record of, of buying back stock at high levels and selling it at low levels. Um, you know, buy high, sell low kind of kind of dynamic. So it's it's a it's a nasty stew. We think uh, this doesn't play out overnight. Um, we're not talking about a you know the sky is falling tomorrow kind of thing because it takes time to work through. But it's it's that sword like you you aptly use as an analogy. Thanks, very very well said. And also, um, e even if they don't, I think they will. You know, need to go out and probably raise equity to to get their debt. Uh, pay down, which you're basically raising money to pay down a non-productive asset at that point in time. Um, but also, just putting that aside for a second, we're just removing the pillar of stock buybacks, right? They're too expensive for these companies to do. So one of the things that has been elevating stock prices at artificially elevated levels is now going away simply because they can't borrow cheaply anymore to do that, right? So you know, just that alone should bring equity values down in the future. Um, okay, uh, great charts, John. Thanks for preparing those. All right, let's get into the last uh, topic in the remaining few minutes we have here, guys, um, which is um, what's going on in the markets right now. Um, you know, we have talked many, many times over many weeks, guys, about the the high level of valuations here. You guys have brought up many charts, um, ranging from the Buffett ratio to other charts of John Hussman, you know, showing at current valuations how future returns may likely be negative over the next 10 or 12 years. Um, so we're starting from a point of very rich valuations already. Um, markets had a big run uh, the second quarter of this year. Um, we're now actually this week, you know, finally beginning to see uh, stocks pull back a bit. Um, do you guys think that this is 
you know, sort of the the pause that refreshes, you know, the, the, the stock market just kind of getting its breath from making such a big sprint, and then things are likely to progress higher from here? Or do you think that this could be the start of something that's more of a real true reversal? Um, Mike, why don't we start with you? Well, as always, the caveat is we'll see. But, uh, you know, I'll tell you, the amount of bullishness that we've seen over the last few months has been pretty breathtaking. FOMO is back, um, not, you know, not with everybody, but it's certainly out there. It's out there in the people we talk to. It's out there in the public. It's out there in the uh, the, the headlines that you see in the news um, articles or the, or the covers of magazines that you see, both Barron's and another major periodical had bulls on the cover in the last few in the last few months. And so here we're sitting at valuations. If you take a look at one of the best measures of valuation, the Schiller PE ratio, it's sitting at 31 right now. Uh, the chart that John just showed, these, these um, strongly elevated profit margins almost certainly won't last. And so if you adjust the Schiller PE, for example, to what they would look like if profit margins reversed, uh, reverted down to eight or 10, they'd be at like 50 times earnings. It's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable unless central banks can continue to drive liquidity into the market. And it's probably not, it's not gonna happen forever. There is no fountain of youth or free money or perpetual energy machine. It just doesn't exist. The question is the timing. What is gonna be the spark that causes the whole thing to change? Nobody knows, but we've seen a lot of over bullishness. We're, we're, we're still in what I think is a bounce from the ultimate high. We'll see. I might get, I, I may look pretty silly down the road if I say this, but I still think the high was January 4th, 2022, a year and a half ago. You know, here we have been on this big bounce. We still haven't taken out the highs. And yet, it seems to me that people are even more bullish now than they were back at those highs, if you look at a lot of different measures. That's typical behavior, typical behavior in bear market rallies. So we'll see. Um, we have some of our short-term indicators starting to reverse down, causing us to take some, some caution or at least uh, view things with caution. Uh, not all of them, but some of them. And uh, taking a look at the S&P here, we're, we're in a down day at the moment. We'll see where we close. But if we close below 4,400 on a daily basis, and we're right around 4,450, I think, right now on the S&P, we're going to leave a string of days above a so-called island reversal. And um, you know, we've looked at these things a lot over the months and years, and none of them have worked out, right? At least on the bearish side. It seems like every indicator or support zone has worked on the bullish side and none on the bearish side. But that's what happens when everyone kind of falls asleep and really doesn't believe that downside can happen. That's what I think we're living through right now. Nobody believes that the market can go down. Even the most bearish um, people out there on Wall Street have had a hard time sticking with this. And I saw a chart recently, we don't have it ready, but saying even the most bearish uh, strategist on Wall Street is like net 1% long. So nobody's really short at the moment. So we'll see what happens. We got to close below 4,400. Our main indicators reverse down. Uh, we could see a pretty pretty surprising move. Nobody expects that during August. Everyone thinks, well, October is the bad month. We're in the lull of summer. Don't worry. But that's kind of what makes it so unique here. Nobody's worried. At the same time, we've saw we've seen VIX, the volatility indicator, go from 12 to 18 or so very quickly. That's a huge jump. It's back. Yeah, to how, how, how significant is that? Here. It doesn't happen that often. I don't have numbers to to really 
you know, to prove how how rare it is, but it's rare. You know, that's nearly a 50% jump in the VIX in, you know, a week or two. So if I had to guess, it probably doesn't happen more than once or twice a year. You know, so so a lot of those times aren't relevant. A lot of times in the past, those have been good buying signals. You get a spike in VIX, jump in and buy the market. It's worked. One of these times, though, it's actually the breakout of the VIX. Buying the dip doesn't work anymore. And you get that elevator drop in the market that we've been expecting. So yeah, we'll see. Right now, support zones in the S&P are right around 4,200 to 4,300. And so we get a little bit of a surprise uh, follow through here, maybe even today. Then we could take a pretty quick trip down to 4,200 or so. And then we'll see where we go from there. Okay. Adam, um, Adam, I, Adam yeah, I can pull up, up a couple of quick charts to add to what Mike just said. So uh, sure. let's, look at, let's look at a VIX chart just to put it in context. Um, so this is a chart of VIX is a monthly chart. So here we are. We're right around 17 right now, 16 and change, I guess. Um, still very, very depressed here. Um, you know, obviously the big spikes here are associated with major events. This was the 0809 sell-off. This was the COVID crash in, in March of 2020. Uh, right around here is, you know, it was in the, in the low to mid thirties uh, during the bottom, at the bottom of uh, October, the, the October low of last year. So we're, by no, we're, we're certainly not extremely stretched. There's, if history's any guy, there's, there's, you know, way more upside ammo here for the VIX to get a little bit more spooked. Uh, and this has implications in, in a lot of different ways, including uh, options pricing. Um, there's been a lot of talk about how cheap it, it has been recently to buy put options to protect uh, downside. That that has been the case. Um, um, but with that spiking, that, that, that basically translates to higher costs to, to hedge. Uh, and that's why, you know, doing things like selling call options to bring in premium to, to finance uh, hedges is is one very good strategy, especially in a, in a heightened volatility market, and that's what we do quite a bit of. I wanted to also just share a another uh, another chart here uh, to to illuminate some of the short term indicators Mike's Mike's reference that we look at. So this is one here. Uh, this is a chart of what's called the bullish percent of the S and P five hundred. And quite simply, what a bullish percent indicator is, it basically represents the percentage of stocks in that index, again, in this case, the uh, S&P 500, that are on what are called point and figure buy signals, okay? Um, it's it's a sentiment indicator, not so much a timing indicator, and and it's also a contrarian thing. When, when this gets above 70%, it basically historically has, has represented a very good um, uh, signal that it's time to be contrarian. In other words, don't jump on the bandwagon and on the market. It just turns out, however, however, over the last couple of years, this actually has been quite a good timing indicator. And I don't want to project that this is foolproof going forward. But if you look at any time that that both percent got above um, uh, 70, 70 percent over the last couple of years here, it, it signified at least a, a near term top. Uh, whether or not we, we see this fall through again, um, Again, our, our our take is that this sig this signal going you know reverting back down is one to be heated and does does speak to uh, the likelihood for some some air pockets below here uh, yet to come. Um, but we'll take the evidence as it comes, and um, you know just to, this is just one of many indicators we'll look at. But just to give folks a, a a bit of a taste for some of the things that we look at. Yeah, it's a really interesting chart. I, I, I you know I, I know it's it's only recent that you're basically only going through. In 2022 on there but 
every time over the past year and a half that we've we've had that reversal there from the highs the markets then corrected downward so you kind of have to ask yourself okay if, if that correlation holds true if I don't think that's going to happen you have to have a pretty good rationale for why it's going to be th different this time um all right interesting super fascinating thanks for bringing that chart up um we're going to have to wrap it up here guys in just a few minutes um I'd like to I'd like to um just get your guys's reaction to the explainer video that I put on the channel yesterday uh that talked about um Mike Wilson's uh commentary there on why the the much anticipated recession of 2023 hasn't materialized right very understandable question for folks to be asking um and Mike seems to think that a big reason for why it hasn't happened yet uh is because it's actually gotten pushed off by what he calls the stealth liquidity that's coming on the fiscal side from the administration with the incredibly uh extreme deficit that the the country's running this year so just to be super quick quick about it we've got the Fed and the banking system still stomping very hard on the brakes on the brakes from a monetary and a bank lending policy standpoint right so their their actions are very focused right now on contracting economic growth um, but at the same time you have uh, on the fiscal side uh the administration jamming hard on the gas pedal right now with all the deficit spending that's going on um you know yes we're not approving new fiscal spending packages um we're not sending money directly to households the, in the way that we did during the the covid pandemic but we we did have the uh you know big spending programs like the um inflation reduction act that are now actually spending their money uh directly into the economy now this year um but but also the the government is just spending uh at, at a much higher deficit rate than it has in years past I think we're running a trillion dollars higher this year than we did last year um they just announced the the projections for uh, the remainder the second half of 2023 I think that's going to be an additional 1.8 trillion that we're going to be spending in these next six months so we are um spending you know trillions uh in, in deficit trillions more than we normally do but but as a percentage of GDP um we're at an extreme here and as a matter of fact we, we pretty much almost never in history spent uh a deficit of such a high level percent of GDP while the unemployment rate has been as low as it is right now as I sort of said in my my explainer video we we essentially um have a wartime deficit right now with a peacetime economy and you you can't do that for very long without creating some pretty big problems so what what Mike Wilson who's the strategist of, of Morgan Stanley said is is hey it's this flooding of fiscal um, money into the system through this this rampant deficit spending that is highly likely kind of pushing off the arrival of the recession it probably otherwise would have arrived coming into the beginning of 2022 2023 um it's now been pushed off by several quarters we don't know exactly how much longer it's going to be pushed off for because we don't know how long it's going to continue for but it can't continue forever um and you know lots of bad implications that will happen if if it, if it does continue for much longer one of which would be a restoking of inflation which would completely undo everything the fed's been trying to do since you know march of last year so um curious to get your guys's thoughts on um 
on this as a, as a potential explanatory reason for why the recession hasn't happened. And yet, um, you know, as Mike seems to think, he's like, look, it's not going to be able to continue for much longer. The policymakers are going to have to stop it proactively, or they're going to start getting so much blowback that they're going to have to stop it. And when they do, all those pent up recessionary forces are likely going to re-express themselves, except this time they're going to be even bigger and even angrier. Um, so, John, let's start with you. I'd love to get your reaction to that. Yeah, I, I think absolutely, Adam. And that that chart we shared earlier uh, by John Hussman, I think, in pictures uh, shows exactly um, that that short term kicking the can uh, effect uh, that has maybe delayed what is otherwise probably inevitable. Um, so we we totally agree with that. And you know, the, 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 a quarter here, a quarter that doesn't change the bigger picture of uh, the massively overpriced complex of stocks in, here in the U.S. Um, that that doesn't change. It may just push things out in terms of reckonings and things like that. Yeah, and sorry, um, sorry to interrupt, but I want you to react to this, which is, yes, I, I get it, we're, we're, and I agree. It, it doesn't matter that it's not going to stop the recession, it's just going to delay it from arriving. But what it does do is it sends, I think, a very dangerous false signal to mm -hmm. both corporations and, and to individuals that, that hey, we're through the storm, right? Yeah. It's over. We're, we're, we're not going to have a hard landing. In fact, we're not going to have a soft landing. We're going to have a no landing. And so people then make financial decisions about their future, assuming that it's all clear. And, and if indeed the recession has just been delayed, not, not eradicated, those people get particularly injured because they slam into the recession blindly. Yeah. And I think, um, I think we're starting to see some evidence that corporations are probably realizing that the good times ain't going to get better <laughs> than, than where they are. In fact, they're probably going to get tighter. Uh, just in the last, uh, just today, I saw, uh, 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 I think, an announcement, earnings release or something by, uh, I think it was ZipRecruiter. They're basically a, a recruiting firm um, to fill job vacancies and things like that. And it was pretty ominous, uh, basically said across the board, they're seeing uh, job postings and, and budgets for, for recruiting, uh, for for jobs, you know, basically being slashed, you know, being basically put on hold. A few weeks ago, I I, I mentioned on on this interview with you, Adam, uh, Robert Half, probably the largest temporary staffing company, uh, it, you know, had had pretty pretty dismal earnings growth reports. Um, it speaks to I think uh, 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 I think that the, the recent Jolts jobs report um, spoke to this as well. There, the, maybe we haven't seen the mass layoffs or or the 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 firings and, the, and this or that or staff reductions, but there certainly seems to be evidence of, of belt tightening and battening down the hatches uh, in anticipation for perhaps more draconian measures needing to be taken as as this kind of fat gets burned off from all this uh, temporary stimulus that is flowing through the system. Yeah, I, I actually did a, a Twitter Spaces last night where I just did kind of a Q and A. With folks, and there were several people that gave kind of boots on the ground stories of how they're seeing lots of cost cutting either at their country companies, um, or um, there was one person there whose company kind of they they provide a lot of financial advisory and legal advisory services to companies that are finding themselves in financial straits. And they said their business is booming because they have a lot of people that are a lot of companies that are, are you know, beginning to enter into that that territory. Um, all right. Well, look, uh, gentlemen, wonderful as always, um, folks, for all the reasons that we've been talking about for this past hour, um, highly recommend as usual that most folks watching this video uh, don't try to navigate 
the road ahead alone, um, work under the guidance of a good seasoned professional financial advisor who takes into account all the issues we talk about here. Many don't. Um, if you have a good one who's doing that for you, building a personalized portfolio strategy for you and then executing it for you while keeping you well-informed, great, stick with them. Those people are very, very rare. Uh, if you don't, though, if you'd like a second opinion from one who does, perhaps even John and Mike and their team there at New Harbor Financial, then consider scheduling a financial uh, free financial consultation with the advisors that Wealthion endorses. To do that, just fill out the very short form over at Wealthion.com. These consultations, totally free, don't cost you anything. There's no commitment to work with these guys. It's just a free public service that they offer to help as many people position as prudently as possible in advance of some of these swords of Damocles that may actually be dropping coming into the future. Um, Mike, uh, I'll, I'll let you have the last word here. Um, as you do, folks, if you uh, enjoy these weekly videos with the guys from New Harbor, um, do us a favor. Um, we'll make sure we continue to keep doing more of these, uh, but to vote your support for that, please hit the like button if you haven't already and click on the red subscribe button below. Well, is that little bell icon right next to it. All right, Mike, you've got the floor to close here. Yeah, I won't say much. I think that you guys summed up the uh, the piece about stealth liquidity very well. All I really want to say is the game won't go on forever. You know, we've been living through this game, so to speak, for the last 15 years. Uh, Post-2008 financial crisis, we entered an era of targeting wealth, the wealth effect. It's really a mental thing. And, you know, I know it's real as well in the financial world, but a lot of it is an illusion in a way. It's a game and it's meant to make us feel secure and safe. But we have all of these other things that we've talked about here today that give us cause for concern or at least give us cause that this isn't permanent. The million dollar question is when does it end? What causes the turn? You know, what's so frustrating for people is that they're either forced to join the game or opt out. You know, and, and our advice would be to opt out at least to some extent. And you do that by Know, getting out of index funds that are passively in overvalued markets, raising cash, having some real assets, and um, just sitting back and having some patience. That's a maddening part of all this. The patience is hard. But um, you know, I think we're in a historic moment here. And um, we'll see what happens the rest of the year. But um, you know, things are lining up and have been up for a while, I know. But continue to stay cautious. And thanks for watching. Thank you, Adam, for all you do as well. All right. All right. Well said to close here. John and Mike, thanks so much. Uh, whatever happens in the next week in the markets, we'll have you guys back here making sense for it uh, for everybody next week. Everyone else, thanks so much for watching. Thank you. Bye for now. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. 
For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching. Thank you.